Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The vault is open. I'm Pete McCarthy. Going into the 1997 World Series, the Marlins and Indians seemed to be opposites in nearly every way. Florida's franchise was still a baby, only in its fifth year as a big league team. Adding to their modern status, the Marlins were the first wildcard team to reach the World Series. Meanwhile, the Indians were an original member of the American League, dating all the way back to 1901. Of course, success never came easy to the tribe, winners of just two World Series, the most recent of which came in 1948. Now they had to face a young gun Marlins team that went on a spending spree the previous offseason. The Fish added manager Jim Leland, outfielders Moises Alou and Bobby Bonilla, and pitcher Alex Fernandez. They joined a core that already included eventual 500 home run hitter Gary Sheffield. On the Indian side, Jim Tomei and Manny Ramirez would eventually reach that prestigious 500 home run club as well. Those two knew well the recent pains of the Indians, who lost a six-game World Series to the Braves in 1995, despite winning a Major League High 100 games that year. The experts had the Indians as a heavy favorite going into this series, but the Marlins quieted them with a Game 1 victory behind their rookie Cuban, Levon Hernandez. In fact, Levon's mother saw her son in a Major League uniform for the very first time during Game 7 of the series. The next four games of the series were largely sloppy and dominated by offense as the team split them, leaving the Marlins one win away from a title. In Game 6, Chad Auger pitched five solid innings for the Tribe and added a two-run single off Kevin Brown to lead the Indians to victory and force a decisive Game 7. In a series lacking many great moments, the final game supplied many. Let's set the scene at Pro Player Park. Vince Scully and former and future manager Jeff Torborg on the call for CBS Sports. Hi, everybody, and a very pleasant good evening to you, wherever you may be. I think in all my years in baseball parks, among others, I thought that Yankee Stadium last year in the ninth inning was as loud as I have ever heard. But without a doubt, I have never heard a stadium make the noise that has been made here tonight when the field was empty. There wasn't anybody out there. And this crowd, pushed on by some fiery television film up on the scoreboard, and then it would say, let's go make noise. Then it would say louder, and it was truly orchestrated. And I kept sitting here thinking, I have never seen a field completely empty of players and the crowd going bananas. That was something, Jeff. Yeah, it really was, man. And, of course, they were very disappointed last night. They thought with their eight going Kevin Brown that they were going to party. Well, now they know all the money's on the line tonight, and they're out here full force and uh, full voice. 
Indeed they are. Zal Leiter tunes up a 31-year-old left-hander, and the last time he pitched, that was in game three, he lasted four innings and he made 114 pitches. That was that nightmare kind of a game that wound up 14-11 with four hours and 12 minutes, and in his four innings, Leiter walked six. But as John and Jeff have been commenting before the game gets underway, he is certainly capable of turning in a tremendous performance. In one of the biggest games in franchise history, the Indians started a 21-year-old rookie in Jarrett Wright. Not only that, he was going on just three days rest. Early in the game, both pitchers handled the offenses as the first two frames went scoreless. But in the third, the Indians put two on in scoring position with one out. Shortstop Omar Vizquel hit a pop-up for the second out, seemingly quieting the rally, but the red-hot Tony Fernandez picked up his teammate. Now the situation. You would think that you're over the hump because you've got the second out with that runner standing there at third base, not to mention the one at second. But now's the toughest one. You cannot give in at all here. You're talking about a very hot hitter in Tony Fernandez, but very often in this situation, the pitcher feels like, oh, man, I got this. It's the biggest out I needed. That's not true. This is the biggest one right now. Tony Fernandez hit almost 400 right-handed during the regular season. So the veteran second baseman waiting at the plate, and the fastball is fouled back to the screen. Good fastball. A lot of life on that one. And the count 0-1. It was around the knees. In the inning, Tomei walked, Grissom singled into second. Wright sacrificed only to have Bizkel pop up under the heading of the best laid plans of mice and men for the name Omar Vizquel. And now here's Tony Fernandez. Oh, and won the count. Tony wears number one, asking for time, and it's granted by Ed Montague. Fernandez hitting 462 in Missouri. Tony waiting, slightly open stance. Lighter at the belt. Al Kicks comes to the hitter way inside. Almost got Fernandez on the right ankle. And the count one ball and one strike. It looked like Charles Johnson and Al Leiter have made up their minds that they're going to really pitch in this situation. Pitch the Indian hitters right on the hands. Way in as much as they can. That's the pitch they got in on Fiskell. He just couldn't get the head of the bat out. But they have tried to get the ball in on Tony Fernandez. One ball and one strike to count it, Tony. Out of the stretch comes Leiter. And the pitch is a little high. Ball two, two and one. On deck, the number three hitter in the lineup, Manny Ramirez. So this is a big battle within the war now between Leiter and Fernandez. Al staring in, Charles Johnson wigwagging a couple of signs out. Now the left-hander out of his stretch. And the 2-1 pitch to Tony Fernandez swung on, base hit to center. In comes Tomei. Here comes Grissom to score. And the Indians lead two to nothing. And what a well-made point he had. Just when Ladder looked like he was getting out of the woods, he gives up a key base hit. Well, I got one of them right. <laughs> I didn't think right to get the foot down, but I always worried about that situation. In fact, when I was a catcher with the Dodgers and with the Eagles, I always went out to my pitcher after that situation where you've got the second out and say, hey, don't relax now. You've got to go even harder now. This is the toughest one to get. And that was a nice piece of hitting by Tony Fernandez. Even though they were pitching him hard inside, he didn't go to try to pull the ball. He stayed right in the middle of the field. And with that base hit, two pitchers jump up in the bullpen for the Marlins. That's 24 pitches in this inning for Al Leiter. And here he was sailing along pitching beautifully. 
The leadoff walk. Boy, is that the one that just kills the manager? Al Leiter escaped that threat, and then two innings later tried to wriggle out of another with the speedy Omar Vizquel at second, Manny Ramirez at first, and the dangerous David Justice at the plate. And the crowd on its feet, as they always do with two strikes on the hitter, what they did at Jacob Field in Cleveland throughout the three games there. Big pitch now. Justice pumping the wood back and forth. Council on the grass. There goes Giscal. The pitch is high. The throw is low. And he's stolen third. So Omar Vizquel has stolen second and third. Stealing third for the second time in two games. Although I always remember Maury Wills telling me it was a lot easier to steal third than it was second. Yes, especially with a left-handed pitcher on the mound. They have more of a difficult time seeing the runner. And you see, Manny Ramirez is still at first base. He had to do that because that's not a sign given double steal. That was just a jump got by Vizquel. you got to be careful because Charles Johnson might throw to third, uh, to second. 2-2 two, two pitches outside a big curveball, and Justice just did hold up. Greg Cox, the American League umpire at third base, indicating no swing. He wasn't close to swinging. Now somebody will say, well, what good does it do to steal third in a situation with two outs? There are so many more ways to score from third base. What it also does is make Al Leiter very aware now. He doesn't want to bounce the breaking ball. Three and two, the count of David Justice. And a lot of trouble on deck, Matt Williams. Out of a stretch goes Leiter. Three, two, pitches. Strike three, called on the outside corner. And the Indians lead two. The score after four and a half innings. Cleveland two, Florida nothing. The next inning, Leiter allowed a leadoff walk to Matt Williams, then faced the hulking left-handed bat of Jim Tomei. 3-1 pitch, swung on, a chopper to Dalton, he turns, fires to Renneria, back to Dalton, they get the double play. 3-6-3 three, three, double play, and the score after five and a half innings, Cleveland two, Florida nothing. That would be all for Leiter, who went six innings, allowing two runs on four hits with seven strikeouts. Meanwhile, the Marlins' offense was failing to do much of anything against Wright. In the bottom of the seventh, Wright was still cruising, at least until gimpy Bobby Benilla, bothered by a pulled hamstring and dropped to sixth in the lineup from his customary cleanup spot, strolled to the plate. Two to nothing, Cleveland, and out there on the mound, pushing himself is 21-year-old Jared Wright. Jared ready and delivers, Bonilla wheels one, that's a win! out there and gone. He finally got well in that back. Bobby Bonita hits it out to shake up the town for Bobby Bonita, his first World Series home run. And he had a hit that about 425 feet. It is now 2-1 to Cleveland, and it'll be Charles Johnson, the batter, 67,204, cheering for their Marlins. I'm sure there are a few people here rooting for Cleveland, but not that many. To the top of the ninth, the Indians still leading 2-1, to one, hoping to add some insurance for closer Jose Mesa. With runners on at first and third and one out, they had a great chance to do so with Marquise Grissom facing Marlins closer Rob Nant. 2-1 pitch, swung on, ground ball down to Redstone, play to the plate, and it's going to be the Johnson in time to get him. 
Well, you can see what they were thinking about, knowing that Renneria knows who the hitter is, and it's Grissom who runs well. The ball was a chopper. It was not a bullet. So they're thinking, boy, we better cut this run off because if we don't get the double play, the run scores. Boy, I was surprised. Because, I, I was, too. You know, the infield's not up like that, and yet the kid got a good throw. It was short hop by Johnson, and Alomar came in standing up and was tagged on the leg. What a great play by Charles Johnson. That ball short hops him, as you right. said, been in the dirt. That is a tough play. First of all, here comes a runner coming at you. Now the ball short hops. And he had to come up with this play, and he caught it with two hands. Boy, what a beautiful play. So Edgar Enteré and Charles Johnson able to save a run. Nan would then get Brian Giles to fly out to keep the Marlins within one run going into the bottom of the ninth. Moises Elu, Bobby Bonilla, and Johnson do up. Here it is in its entirety. We have arrived at the bottom of the ninth inning, and the challenge is there for both teams. Cleveland winning five pennants in 97 years, but they have not won a World Series since 1948. Interestingly enough, it's Mike Hardwell's 48th birthday. They have lost two World Series in a row in 1954 and 1995. Meanwhile, the Marlins trying to be the first expansion team to win a World Series in five years. It took eight years for the Mets to do it, 16 for Toronto and 17 for Kansas City. And standing in the way is Jose Mesa. Mesa in his fifth game, five of the seven, he has worked three in the third innings and allowed two earned runs and six hits. And he'll be greeted by Moises Alou, then Bobby Bonilla, and Charles Johnson. Alou has popped up the second, struck out, fly to center. Out of a stretch goes Mesa. And here we go in the ninth as Alou looks at a pitch low, ball one. Alou had a big at-bat in the sixth inning after Dalton reached third on the three-day error by Manny Ramirez with two outs, but Alou flies to center. Moises Alou batting 3.08. Mesa ready, but big man delivers, and it swung on and missed in the count one and one. You know, Ben, I don't know if those two pitches were. They broke down. They might have been like a, a slider that he got over the top of because both those pitches were not straight. Well, Jose Mesa, of course, the closer for the Indians during the regular year, now has to close it and win the championship. The 1-1 pitch to Moises Alou is a line drive in the left center. They hit, and here we go in the bottom of the ninth as Clisson gets the ball back in. So the Marlins have the tying run aboard in the ninth inning with nobody out. Bobby Bonilla, who grounded out, struck out, and then hit a home run in the seventh inning coming up. Well, then that was another slider that Moises Alou just won out and kind of served in the left center field. And you've got both Hawks having the people in place that they want to have there. Mike Hartlow's got his closer in in the ninth inning with a one-run lead. Jim Leland's got the middle of his batting order coming up, and he's got a runner at first base. And no one throwing in the bullpen as Bobby Bonilla hitting left-handed checks in. Bonilla with 17 home runs during the regular year, and he probably hits it foul off third back in the lower deck, and the count 0-1. Well, we were waiting for a true World Series game, and the first six, there really weren't any. But we have got ourselves a dandy here in game seven, bottom of the ninth, Cleveland 2, Florida 1, for the Marlins have the leadoff man, Alou, get aboard on a base hit. 
Kome, holding the bag on Alu, makes that out of a stretch, takes a look over at Alu, still looking, now comes to Bonilla, who swings, misses, staggers across the plate. You know, Ben, it's so interesting. We've got the Marlins. We've talked about it. They are a club that has come, be come behind all season long. They led the National League and come from behind pitches. They led the National League with home wins. And here we are in the ninth inning, and here they come again. Moise Zalou, standing in first base, has fallen nine bases during the regular year. He stole nine. He was caught five. 0-2 to Bobby Bonilla. Mesa set at the belt. Looks over at Alou. Works the hitter low. Ball one. With the flash bulbs popping throughout Pro Player Park. Trying to record a memorable moment. Keep it down, Chad O.J. Hollers out of the dugout. Meanwhile, the Marlins trying to cheer Bobby Bonilla as he waits to the plate. Out of the stretch goes Mesa. Looks over at Alou. And the one-two pitch is bounced in front of the plate, a scrambling save by Alomar, and the count two and two. There is the most difficult ball to block for a catcher. A ball that is way out in front of home plate is a difficult one to block because when it's so far out in front of you, it's going to bounce high. So you almost, instead of going down on your knees, have to get up in the air. Sandy Alomar caught that ball with his chin on the side of the mask and in his chin to keep that ball from getting by him. Boy, what a big play that was. Mesa had only one wild pitch during the regular season, but he sure came close to wild pitching that time. Two and two to Bobby Bonilla. Alou off the bag at first. Nobody out in the ninth. Two to one Cleveland. Mesa at the belt. Looks over his left shoulder, and Alou works Bonilla high. Ball three. On deck, catcher Charles Johnson. Boy, this, this is big because with a walk here, then they have an opportunity to the go ahead, run the second base, try and run the third base. Charles Johnson, the on-deck hitter, so this would be a big fit. Johnson, during the regular year, run it three times successfully. Mesa ready, Bonilla waiting, Jose delivers, line drive down the right field line, foul. Boy, did the Marlins come flying out of the dugout to keep track of that. But it was fouled by several feet. So, Bonilla comes back three and two. Benny, I was broadcasting a game from here. And we've mentioned it before. It was a game with the Rockies. When the Rockies had made a terrific run. Right near the end of, so in the middle of September, Bobby Bonilla came to the plate with the bases loaded. The Marlins were down by a run. He, fouled, he got two strikes on him, two outs. The ninth inning, bottom of the ninth inning, he got two strikes on him. He fouled off six incredible pitches. He hit a grand slam home run to win the game. It was kind of like symbolic of their season, and there he is up again. That was a dangerous pitch by Mason. It was down and in in the Bonilla area that he liked so much. Here's another 3-2 pitch. Alou's not going, and it's fouled away yet again. And the count remains, and Bonilla with a bad hamstring, a bad wrist, and an Achilles tendon. Might have gotten hurt on that foul ball. Got a little bit on his front foot. So timeout while he walks it off. Now, one of the things that I saw when I was managing the Mets and I had Bobby there for a year and a part of the second year, was that if you give him a lot of pitches in the at-bat, to get on a pitcher, to time the pitcher, he can be fooled a lot left-handed by off-speed stuff. But if you give him a lot of pitches, he's able to time it. Now he's got a 3-2 count here. He knows he can sit on the fastball and try to go to rip it. 
Well, Bonilla walking around to the right side of home plate. Ed Montague cleans off the plate. And 67,204, the majority of whom are on their feet. And swept in both dugouts, the Marlins and the Indians. Mesa ready in a 3-2 pitch and steadies off the rubber. The opening of the tale of two cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And that's the way it'll be for one of them, either Cleveland or South Florida, Miami especially. All right, Mesa ready. Another look at Alou. Big man Beal swung on and missed. And Bobby Bonilla chasing a borderline pitch. You'd have to see it again as to whether that was in the strike zone or not. It was down, and he went after it after fouling off a couple of low pitches. Mason delivered, and the pitch was right around the knee. Well, that was a pitch that he could handle, but it had great action on it. It started in like it was straight, but it kind of tailed back. That's that two-seam rise of fastball down in the strike zone. So Mason gets a big strikeout, and now Charles Johnson up there. Moises alluded to tying run at first base. Mason straightens up, looks over at him. Johnson, the right-hand hitting catcher, and he looks at ball one. The outfield is around the left. Danny Ramirez very deep in right field and slightly over more towards right center. Marquis Grissom has moved off the line. He is shading a bit into left center. And Alou, with nine stolen bases during the regular year, a cautious lead at first. Mesa at the belt. Johnson, bat held high up, back of the right ear, takes the strike. Josh Johnson struck out in the second inning, did back to the box in the fifth, and struck out in the seventh. And this is a dangerous type of hitter. He's so big and he's so strong. He catches one of these fastballs by Mesa on a sweet spot of the bat, and you've got a ball that can go a long way. But 1-1 one, one pitch for Josh Johnson, swung on, fouled away off to the right, and the count one and two. It's incredible. You go all the way back to the end of February, and these two ball clubs reported in spring training, along with all of the others. And about 210 games later, your entire year's work has come down to one inning and two more outs. Remarkable. Unbelievable. Boy, do these two teams deserve being here. I mean, good heart these clubs have. I mean, to come out tonight and do what they've done after, they've been maligned. Both of these have maligned since the beginning of the series. They shouldn't be here. Well, that's darn right they should be here. They earned it. Charles Johnson waiting. Mesa asking Alomar to go over the signs again. Now Jose straightens up. A look at Moises Alou. Still looking. The pitch to Johnson is lined in the right field. Remember, Ramirez is deep. Alou is going to go to third. The tying run is 90 feet away with one out. So Charles Johnson, a line drive single to right, and he will be coming out for Jeff Gaughan, who will run for him, and then, of course, if necessary, stay in the game. Well, that was an outstanding bit of hitting. Now, Charles Johnson had the two strikes on him. Danny Alomar steps way outside. They tried to throw a slider low and away to get Charles Johnson to face a bad ball, and he stayed right with it and hit it to right field. Now you've got all sorts of strategy abilities here. You have a hitter in Craig Council who can do a lot of things. He can bunt. He can put the ball in play. He can run. You've got a pitch runner at first base. 
here's a guy that has got a couple big infield hits against the Braves in a situation very similar to this. You know you have a left-hand hitter in Council and a left-hand hitter in Eisenreich. There's one left-hander left for Mike Harbaugh, Alvin Mormon, but I don't know if he's thinking about bringing in Mormon. I guess he'll stay with his closer, O.J. Mesa. So Greg Zorn is at first. Down the line at third, Moise Talou, 90 feet away from tying up the game. And, of course, Zorn represents a winning run. Out of a stretch goes Mesa. Council, a little left-hand hitter batting 190, and he takes low. Ball one. You know, one of the things that really worries the manager is to have a little punch-and-duty hitter. Now, that's not a knock. That's the kind of hitter he is. He slaps the ball around. Normally, he will not chase a lot of bad balls unless it's low and in, but he can put the ball in play. You've got to protect, too. Be alert. He might do anything here. The one old pitch to Council as Alou comes down the line from third, and Council a full swing foul, and it's one and one. As far as the deployment of the Indians, Tomei holding the runner and then jumps off of the bag. Matt Williams wide of the bag and even. Both Tony Fernandez and Omar Vizcal are back. The outfield just about straight away, and Marquis Grissom has shortened up a little bit in center field. So Jose Mesa has gotten himself in a Mesa of trouble. First and third, one out. The big right-hander leans in to get a sign. Council with an open stand. Mesa looks at the runners and deals. Full swing, drive to right. Ramirez goes back to make the catch. Alou tags up to tie it up. Listen to this play. imagine they are going wild in pro player park as the scrappy marlins have come back to get a run in the bottom of the ninth inning and tie up the game 2-2 against cleveland's best jose mesa alu single to center with one out johnson single to right sending alu to third counsel a 190 hitter a quote and he was right a punch and judy hitter but Thorborg and I see him drive one to deep right field. Manny Ramirez making the catch, and Alou comes home, and Miami and South Florida is euphoric as Jim Eisenreich is coming up. Can you believe it? And you indeed. Council, during the regular year, had one scoring fly ball. Uno. <laughs> what a time to get number two. So here is veteran Eisenreich at the plate, hitting 571 in the series, and the pitch to Jim is low, ball one. Not only was it low, it was in the dirt, and Sandy Alomar backhanded it out of the dirt. He has meant so much in this club all season long in that unsung position behind the plate, saving runners moving in the scoring position. He did it again. So Eisenreich batting ninth, remember, in that two-for-one switch with Rob Nen. Mesa out of the stretch. You look over at Zahn. Now the 1-0 pitch, swung on, little roller to the right side. Tony Fernandez makes the play, and we're heading for extra innings. The score after nine innings. 
Cleveland 2, Florida 2. A rarity, a Game 7 of a World Series in need of extra innings to find a champion. The Indians mustered no threat in the top of the 10th as Nen struck out the side. In the bottom half, Edgar Renteria and Gary Sheffield had back-to-back -back base hits off Mesa with one out, setting the stage for pinch hitter John Cangelosi. And now John Cangelosi, we John, coming up to bat for Rob Nen. Remember what I said before about counsel. A lot of times in situations like this, you don't want to see a little line drive hitter, a guy who just puts the ball in play because he can flare the ball through the infield, he can hit the ball through a hole, sometimes he doesn't hit it hard enough, it gets through, and the runner just keeps right on coming. Cangelosi is a good hitter with a good eye. Boy, Mesa has allowed four hits in two innings. He is hanging on by his nails. And with first and second and one out, John Cangelosi with Moise Zalou on deck. Mesa out of a stretch. A look at the runners. Deals low, another great split and a stop by Alomar. He has saved Mesa three or four wild pitches in this inning. You're not kidding. To this point, he saved the World Championship. Now, of course, it might be taken away from him, but he has really saved it. Mesa, hand to the side, send to the ways to Reed Alomar. Two on, one out, 10th inning, 2-2 two, two tie. Mesa ready, big right-handed deliver, swung on and missed by Cangelosi, who hit 245 during the regular year. Cangelosi, no power. He is one home run. He hit that left-handed. Renderia, the winning run. The guy carrying the mail to bring the championship to South Florida. Gary Sheffield at first. One out. One and one to Cangelosi. Mesa again ready. A look at Renteria. The pitch to the plate is in there for a strike. And the count is one and two to Cangelosi. And then as I look around the outfield, you've got a good arm in right field, but he's playing very deep. You've got a good arm in center, but in left field, David Jessup has had that hyperextended elbow, which is a problem for him. And he's relatively deep. Now, what he can do is charge the ball, but if a ball is not hit right on the foot to the left field here, I think Renneria could score. Well, Cangelosi, the veteran, 12 years in the big leagues, waiting at the plate. Out of a stretch goes Mesa. Another look at Renteria. The pitch to Cangelosi a little high, and of course it doesn't have to be too high. He's only 5'8", and he's in a crowd. <laughs> so Alou and Johnson at base hits, and Council's fly ball scored Alou to tie up the game. Now Renteria and Sheffield get base hits, and John Cangelosi at the plate. One out, 10th inning, a 2-2 tie, and a 2-2 count on Cangelosi. Out of a stretch goes Jose Mesa. Right hand to ready, here he comes, and it is low, ball three. And Cangelosi now walks away from home plate to take a practice swing. Boy, they are going right down to the nub, three and two, two on, one out. Do you run them? No, no. I don't run now, no, but I'll tell you what. Mesa's got to throw the ball almost down the middle of the plate. You cannot load the bases up from Moises a little because if you do, then you've got to either get a strikeout or a pop-up. You really have got to, you've got to challenge the little hitter right here. Well, here's the moment of truth, as they say in bullfighting, and the 3-2 pitch is instead of fake and just a look at second, Renderia hanging out near the bag anyway. That's not a bad move. If you can keep that runner one step closer to the base, in case this ball is hit to the outfield, that maybe you got a chance of throwing a man out at the plate if it's a safe hit. 
All of her shots are stopped throwing in the bullpen, so it's up to Mesa for the moment. A look at the runners. They're not going, and the pitch is strike three call to John Cangelosi. So Cangelosi, who thought the pitch was low, is rung up as Mesa comes in with a clutch strikeout. His second, remember he got Bonilla in the ninth inning. So Cangelosi caught looking, and that will bring up Boise Zalou, and it also brings up Mike Hargrove. Would he go to the pen? Well, we'll see. He's getting word, not for Hershiser, but they are going to the bullpen to bring somebody else in. I think that's Charles Maggie. There's not much left down there. It's Maggie coming in. So with two on and two out in the 10th inning, a 2-2 tie. And while Maggie warms up, let's pause for this. Well, the entire season is on the line. Bottom of the 10th inning, a 2-2 tie with two on and two out. Charles Nagy, who did not relieve this year, he made 34 starts, and he put 227 hard-earned innings under his belt, then worked in the postseason, won 15, and here he is, giving the ball to relieve with the game on the line against Moise Zalou. What a spot. You're not kidding. And, and historically, he's had trouble early in the game when he starts. What's he doing coming in relief? You know, that's early in the game for him. Also, very strange to have. Here's a guy with a whole world championship on the line, and there's been a lot of talk that his confidence was down. Maybe his stuff was not as good as it had been, and now he's brought into this situation. Now, they either boost your, boost your confidence. I'll tell you one thing. I saw this guy really bow his neck in a lot of trouble in the postseason. Incredible games and did a heck of a job. Well, we'll see what he can do now. Moise Zalou popped up, struck out, fly to center, but then got a lead-off single in the ninth inning against Jose Mesa and scored the tying run. Now here's Moise with a chance to be a hero and Bobby Bonilla hitting back of him. Nagy ready, delivers, Moise takes down and away. Ball one. It was Nagy who was up against the magnificent Mike Messina. It was Nagy who was in constant trouble that day, and it was Nagy who pitched his way out of it. But it was always his trouble. Now he's inherited Mace's problem, and it is sizable. One ball and no strikes to Moise Zalou. The next pitch to Moise lifted the right field. Manny Ramirez comes in. It seemed like it was a very late start, but he makes the catch. Tony Fernandez was out there with him. I don't know whether Manny saw that ball or what. I don't know, but he scared uh, Tony Fernandez after <laughs> that because he started to go out after it again. The score after 10 innings, Cleveland 2 and the Marlins 2. One of many catches in that fashion for young Manny Ramirez over the course of his career. In the top of the 11th, Jay Powell emerged from the Marlins' pen, walking the leadoff man Matt Williams. Mike Hargrove called for the bunt with Sandy Alomar up, but the catcher failed to advance Williams, who was forced out at second. So up stepped Tomei with one on and one out. Very careful, yes. All right, no balls and two strikes. The count of Jim Tomei hitting 296, two home runs, four runs batted in. Tomei settling that left foot. Now he's in the box, time back in. Powell with one out. And Alomar, no threat to run at first. And there's a shot down to second. Council feeding Renteria. Easy double play. Bonilla, Zahn, and Council will be due up. The score after ten and a half innings, 
Cleveland to Florida too. Without further ado, here's the historic bottom of the 11th inning in its entirety. The 11th inning in the final game of the World Series, and it's a World Series game indeed. Two runs, six hits, and one error for Cleveland. Two runs, six hits, and no errors for Florida. A bitterly contested ball game and truly a fitting climax to the year. A parade of pitchers. It's now Gay Powell and Charles Nagy. Nagy is starter brought in and was successful in disposing of Alou to end the 10th Now he'll face Bonilla, Dawn, and Council. And how about the move by Jim Leland? He dropped Bobby Bonilla out of the cleanup spot that he's been part of most of the season, down to where he is now in the order. And he comes up with that big home run to get him within one in the seventh inning. And here he is again. He could win this ball game right here. Charles Nagy looks in to get a sign. Right hand already and delivers, and it's swung on and missed in the count 0-1. Nagy was victimized quite a bit by the home run balls. He served up more home runs during the regular year than any other Cleveland pitcher. He gave up 27. Hershiser gave up 26. Strike one pitch, another strike, and the count 0-2. Now, isn't it interesting? Here comes Nagy out of the bullpen throwing strikes. Now, he has trouble when he's a starter sometimes early in the game, but he comes out of the bullpen throwing strikes. The 0-2 pitch, Bobby Bonita, is swung on, base hit into center field. This might be Bonita's last defense with all the physical problems he has. You wonder if he doesn't go out for a pinch runner. The batter will be Greg Gorn, a swift hitter, who will bat left-handed. But Bonilla standing on the bag, and Leland not sending in a runner for him, not yet. Maybe not until he gets to second base. Now well, there's problem, too. He's only got one more guy in the bench of the regular players in Arias, if I have my uh, scorecard right, which means he's a little concerned that he limits himself. He has used up all of his pinch hitters in the sense he's used Conine, Tangelosi, Floyd, Abbott, and he's playing Eisenreich. Let's pause 10 seconds for stations to identify themselves on the CBS radio network. The Rangers settle for a 3-3 tie with the Ducks. Giants won the fifth straight, beat the Bengals 29-27. Sunday night game won by the Panthers. They beat the Falcons 21-12. More later on WFAN New York. So here is Zahn at the plate. Switch hitting catcher making his appearance in the series, and he bunts up along first base foul in the count on one. You know, when they used Kurt Abbott, they also used up their third catcher. Dalton could not catch no matter what. He is physically unable. They started Charles Johnson, now they have Greg Gaunt, but they don't have anyone else, so it is not as if they can monkey around with Gaunt. Mm -hmm. 0-1 the count of the catcher. 2-2, bottom of the 11th inning. Bromius taking a short lead at first. Maggie a look over. Williamson on the grass. John shows bunt line drive foul over the backstop screen instead. And the count 0-2. Now the question, do you ask a hitter? Uh, yeah, if it were a pitcher, you ask him to pitch to bunt again. Do you ask a hitter in this situation to get a two-strike bunt down? Very tough to do. I think maybe you do. Vaughn had 140-some-odd at-bats during the regular year. No balls and two strikes the count. He's around the bunt, in the air, caught by Nagy. The throw to Tony Fernandez, covering, not in time. Bonilla, face down, just did get back. Goes on, pops the bunt up, one away. Craig Council will be the batter, and then Jim Eisenreich, who bats ninth. 
You know, there's always a thought in a popped-up bunt like that. You watch to make sure the guy who bunted it is running down the first base line. You let it drop. Go to first base. You got a chance to get him, and then the other guy caught the rundown. But also in a game like this, you don't take any chances with this. And you don't want to switch runners, basically. You'd rather have to be a running if you only got one. So one away, Bonita is still at first base. And here's Craig Council's long fly ball in the ninth inning. Got the game even. Nagy ready, delivers, Council fouls it back. 0-1. He's hitting only 190, but it's a big 190. It just seems like every now and then he's in the middle of things and he comes up with something, usually a walk. He really does. He made things happen over in Cleveland. He got a couple of big bases against left-handers. Get the inning going. He's played an exceptional second base, and he got the big sacrifice fly tonight to tie the game. Nagy ready, and the strike one pitch coming up. Council looks at the breaking ball strike, and the count 0-2. Bottom of the 11th inning in a 2-2 tie. Two runs, six hits for Cleveland. Two runs, seven hits for Florida. Nagy right foot on the rubber. Tomei is not holding Bonilla. He's directly behind him, peering over Bonilla's left shoulder. Now the strike two pitch. Council fouls it at the plate. So, Craig, you're still up there 0-2. That's what this kid does. He takes it deep into the count. He battles, he battles, he battles. Not that it's a concern now wearing the pitcher out, but what it does is make him somewhere along the way possibly make a mistake and come in and he hits the ball. He hit 299 coming over to Florida, and he hit 299 for the year. He just was in one game for the Rockies. No balls, two strikes. Craig waiting. Nagy out of the stretch. Comes back to the plate. Full foul off the box seats outside of first base. So he's still there. No balls, two strikes. You know, when you think of a little guy, we talked about it. You think of a little guy. He's slight. Hands at open stance. He swings hard on some pitches. He turns on certain balls, and he'll pull the ball across the foul like the sacrifice fly. Yeah, he's still left field. yeah. And then other times, if you pitch him away, he just kind of serves the ball the other way. 0-2 the count to Craig Council. Maggie out of the stretch. Big right hand already and the pitch to Council inside at the hands. We have just gone over midnight according to the clock in straightaway center field. Two minutes beyond the bewitching hour here in Florida on the East Coast. Game started a little before 8 o'clock. Maggie. Out of the stretch, set at the belt, Bonilla short lead at first. Council swings, little ground ball to the right side. And it goes under Fernandez's glove. And Bonilla will go all the way to first. You know what happened? He was thinking about turning and throwing the ball to second base to get Bobby Bonilla. He was going to go over and spin on a reverse spin and throw to second base. And he misjudged the hop. And we had said earlier... We were hoping there would not be a ghost, and yet the horns are almost put on a gold glove. Tony Fernandez, who tried to one-hand the ground ball out in front, and as Jeff said, he was thinking of getting Bermuda, but it went right under his glove. It will be an error charged to the usually reliable Hernandez, and now first and third, one out, and the Marlins... We'll have Eisenreich walk intentionally. That's the only thing that Nagy can do. And in a moment, Devon White will be coming up with one out and the bases loaded. And the Marlins with the winning run 90 feet away and a banged up Bobby Bonilla. So the usually reliable defense has hurt Cleveland. 
A ground ball under Tony Fernandez's glove. A nightmare play for a veteran second baseman, of course, basically a shortstop. And so Tony Fernandez, deep in thought, and you can understand his thoughts, as Mike Hargrove goes out to the mound. And what Mike's going out now, he's going to tell him how he wants to play the defense. Now the outfield has to pull in. They have to get to a, a distance that they feel that they can throw a runner out at home plate. So they're going to have to play it up. Now, they don't have to stand up right away, but they have to get close enough where they can run up and catch the ball and make a play of the play. So this is this is really nice. Mike Hartwell went out and he kind of grabbed Tony Fernandez by the shoulder and said, let's go. We'll get, we'll get out of this thing. Tony Fernandez won four gold gloves at a shortstop, made four all-star teams, was a member of the 93 Toronto Blue Jays that won the World Series during his brilliant 12-year career. He missed the Yankee side of the World Series last year. He was out for the year after breaking his right elbow in spring training. And now, a disastrous moment in his career, unless Cleveland can somehow get out of this sticky situation. Bases loaded, one out, and Devon White, who has struck out twice tonight at the plate, the same Devon White, who has struck out ten times in the series. The infield is up, Maggie out of a stretch, and the pitch to White, swung on, little ground ball to Fernandez, goes to the plate, they get a force play on Bonilla. How can he make that look so so relaxed? He kind of went over and flipped the ball to the plate. And you know he's saying, oh, boy, give me a second chance. Give me a second chance here. Well, he's gotten it. The fourth play moves everybody up. Council goes to third. Eisenreich goes to second. White is at third. And now Edgar Renteria will come in with the bases loaded, two out. Renneria with a chance to win it if he can get Council home. So Charles Maggie facing Renneria, who is all of 22. What is it? A little child shall lead them. We'll see. Renneria takes a strike, a mean breaking ball on the inside corner. Now that's why Mike also brought Maggie in originally to face Alou instead of Macy wanted breaking stuff. But this guy, Renneria, is a tough out, man, because he handles the ball the other way so well. A lot of nail-biting now as Nagy comes back, and there's a line drive behind second base. They hit, and the Marlins have won it. And they are crazy at co-player park. A line drive base hit the center field, and the Marlins, the first expansion team to win a championship. They did it in five years. The Mets took eight, and the Marlins came in here as a wild card to win it all. The only regret I have is we had a goat. The ground ball that went under the glove of Tony Fernandez. That's too bad. But let them revel in the base hit by Edgar Renteria. The celebration in South Florida was on, but it was not long-lived. That offseason, Moises Salou was dealt. Al Leiter was traded as well. Mr. Marlin, Jeff Conine was traded, though he would return to be the lone Marlin to play in both the 97 and 2003 World Series. 
Kevin Brown was sent to San Diego. Alex Fernandez missed the entire 98 campaign because of shoulder issues. Darren Dalton retired after the series. During the 98 season, the Marlins traded Gary Sheffield, Bobby Bonilla, and Charles Johnson to the Dodgers for Mike Piazza and Todd Zeal. Eight days later, even Piazza was dealt. He went to the New York Mets. The team lost 108 games that year, the worst record ever for a defending champion. Jim Leland resigned after the season, and owner Wayne Huizenga soon sold the team after orchestrating a complete fire sale of a world champion squad. Marlins did manage to rebuild, winning another title in 2003. The Indians? Well, they still haven't returned to the Fall Classic, with their closest chance coming in 2007 when they held a 3-1 ALCS lead. As for the Indians, well, they still haven't returned to the Fall Classic, with their closest chance coming in 2007 when they held a three-games-to-one ALCS lead on the Red Sox before losing the next three games. Years after the loss, shortstop Omar Vizquel wrote about the ninth inning in Game 7 and closer Jose Mesa in the book Omar, My Life On and Off the Field. Vizquel wrote, quote, The eyes of the world were focused on every move we made. Unfortunately, Jose's own eyes were vacant, completely empty, nobody home. You could almost see right through him. Not long after I looked into his vacant eyes, he blew the save and the Marlins tied the game. End quote. After reading the book, Mesa promised that if he faced Vizcal ten more times, he'd hit him ten times. As it went down, he threw at Vizcal on at least three occasions, hitting him twice, once earning a four-game suspension in 2006. No love lost there. Also of note, Game 7 of the World Series is, to date, the last World Series game called by the great Vin Scully. He has called 25 of them in his illustrious career. If you have any other games or moments you'd like to hear, be sure to send an email to pete.mccarthy at mlb.com. Thanks so much for listening. The Vault is shut.